Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Story time. I was out one morning bucking up some fallen alder trees for firewood. Over the sound of my chainsaw, I began to hear heavy movement in the brush to the east of my worksite. As I watched in disbelief, a large, upright and slightly hunched. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Backed creature appeared about 50 yards away. It looked at me with yellowish eyes and blue air out of its nostrils, like a horse. I threw a stick at it and turned tail out of fear of this unknown being. I never looked back, although it sounded as if the eight-foot-tall creature ran away from me as well. I don't cut firewood anymore and my chainsaw is rusting on the back porch. Thanks to Bigfoot, I've switched over to natural gas heating. 
It's made all the difference in my life. Thank you Bigfoot. I was in the Grand Canyon in 2008 during a huge flash flood that ran through there at the time. We were camping down in the bottom. After a couple big days of backpacking around, and in the middle of the night it tore through. The waters went up 60 or 70 feet and everyone was fleeing up the cliff walls for their lives. A couple people were swept over the large falls. We saw bears running down and scrambling up trees before they fell over. But the craziest thing I saw was a woman with a baby strapped to her back climbing across one of those river jumping ropes to get to a boulder on the other side before they got swept away. She was two or three feet over the water shooting down there at crazy speeds carrying massive trees crashing down along the way. We were terrified for them. As I patrolled the vast Everglades National Park, I marveled at the beauty of the marshlands and the exotic creatures that called it home. But as the sun began to set, a sense of unease settled over me. The park was beautiful, but it was also dangerous, filled with predators and hidden perils. I heard a strange sound coming from the deep woods, a sound that I couldn't quite place. It was almost like a low growl, mixed with a high-pitched screech. I knew that I had to investigate, so I set out into the woods. The woods were dark and foreboding, with twisted vines and towering trees that seemed to loom over me like giants. As I pressed deeper into the forest, the sounds grew louder, and I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. And then, out of nowhere, I was attacked by an unknown predator, a creature that was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and muscular, with long arms and legs, covered in matted fur. Its eyes glowed with a fierce intelligence, and its teeth were razor sharp. I fought the creature with all my might, but it was too strong, too fast. It knocked me to the ground, and then, just as suddenly as it had attacked me, it was gone. I tried to follow the creature, to track it down, but it was as if it had vanished into thin air. It was like chasing a ghost through the tangled maze of the Everglades, and I felt a sense of frustration and desperation growing within me. Days turned into weeks, and the predator continued to haunt my dreams, a shadowy figure that lurked just beyond my reach. I knew that I had to find a way to stop it, to bring it to justice before it could hurt anyone else. And so, I teamed up with a team of experts, and we set out into the heart of the Everglades, armed with the latest technology and the bravest hearts. We searched every inch of the park, but nothing. Nevertheless I knew that the memory of that creature, that unknown predator lurking in the heart of the Everglades, would haunt me for the rest of my life. As we returned to civilization, the memory of the creature still fresh in my mind, I couldn't help but wonder, where had it come from? What had driven it to attack me, and who or what was it protecting? The more I thought about it, the more I realized that there was a dark underbelly to the Everglades, a side of the park that most people never saw. There were secrets lurking in the swamps and the marshes, secrets that were hidden from the prying eyes of tourists and park rangers alike. And as I delved deeper into those secrets, I began to uncover a web of crime and corruption that stretched all the way to the heart of the park. There were poachers and smugglers, drug dealers and black market traders, all using the Everglades as a cover for their illegal activities. I knew that I had to take action, to fight back against the forces that threatened to destroy the park that I loved. And so, I rallied a group of like-minded individuals, park rangers and law enforcement officers who were willing to stand up and fight for what was right. Together, we waged a war against the criminal elements that threatened the Everglades, taking down poachers and smugglers, drug dealers and criminals of all stripes. It was a long and difficult battle and we faced many challenges along the way, but in the end, we emerged victorious. Today, the Everglades National Park is a safer place, a haven for wildlife and visitors alike. And though I will never forget the terror that I felt on that fateful night, I am proud to have been a part of the team that helped to restore the park to its former glory. But I know that the battle is far from over, 
and that there will always be those who seek to exploit and destroy the natural world. And so, I will continue to fight, to protect the parks and the wilderness that I hold so dear, for as long as I am able. A few friends of mine were driving up to the Bohemia Mines one winter night. They had just passed the cave listed above when all of the power functions in their car went out, lights, brakes, radio, everything. All of a sudden their car started to slide towards the mountain, as if someone or something had pushed it from the rear passenger side, by the trunk. The driver maneuvered the car so it could not hit the side of the mountain. When they had driven approximately 50 feet away from the incident site all of their power functions came back on. They traveled on the road until they had found a place with enough room for them to turn around. They then turned the car around and started traveling back toward the town of Cottage Grove. When they went past the cave for the second time nothing happened. When they arrived in Cottage Grove they parked at a friend's house. As they exited the car one of the passengers noticed two giant, almost 12-inch, muddy hand prints won the rear of the car. Everyone was pretty freaked out and would not go up to that area for a few weeks. When my boyfriend and I went past that cave for the first time after this incident, nothing happened. At sunset on March 17, 2001, my friend and I were hiking along a creek logjam when we heard what sounded like a strange sort of singing in a culvert. My friend quickly approached the culvert and urged me to join him immediately. There at the far end of the culvert were two ape-like creatures with glowing eyes. I believe this was my first Bigfoot sighting. The singing continued, despite our intrusion. The creatures did not move toward us, and we left in a hurry so as not to disturb them. This is a very isolated area, very few people around. It had been raining all day. It was a wet culvert, by a deep creek, surrounded by trees, near the ocean. A few years ago my wife and her friends were out east of Portland, Oregon on a really really hot weekend and, on their way to Hood River, decided to stop at a place called Punchbowl to cool off. They were going to be fast so they just brought bathing suits and flip-flops and were just going to run up the mile plus minus trail to jump in, jump out, and keep driving. They had just arrived at Punchbowl and were greeted by a fairly sizable crowd, maybe 75-100 people total spread out. They had just gotten out from swimming then they see a little trail of smoke. Within minutes the small trail of smoke is huge and noticeable smell is growing. A few folks get spooked and go to leave to the parking lot only to return panic shortly after saying a fire wall had blocked the trail. They immediately call 911, within a few minutes a helicopter is over them and begins dropping notes on caution tape down to the group saying run. Large fire spreading fast, head down. Followed very quickly after with trail consumed, stay put. The fire is visible now and rapidly growing. A volunteer somehow got herself back there with a map and GPS and mapped out a possible route to escape as long as winds sustain their current models. Ultimately through 36 hours of terror. They hiked 15 miles plus on rugged terrain out barefoot in bathing suits in the middle of what later came known to be the Eagle Creek Fire, that almost torched the whole one side of the Columbia River Valley escaping with their lives but my wife still suffers some PTSD when she smells campfires. She said that for essentially 12 to 14 hours total of it they had zero idea of where they were going, if there was any remote chance of getting out, or even if they were going the right way following this group. All 75 plus people made it out okay. Pretty incredible teamwork. I live in Roseburg, Oregon. On September 11, 2001 I was driving out to the Coos Bay Wagon Road, about 10 miles from town, to find a good place to have a party this weekend. It was about 10.30pm and I was heading home when I stopped to get out and relieve myself. While I was outside my car I smelled something very strange it was sort of like body odor and musk. At first I thought it was just elk scent, 
But as I was heading back to my car I heard this cry that I've never heard before it sounded to be off in the distance so I hurried up to leave. When I started to leave another cry sounded this one was very close. About a half mile up the road I saw what I think may have been a Bigfoot. It was about 7 to 8 feet tall and had fur on its body which seemed to be either black or dark brown. I put my brights on and it went back into the trees about 5 yards and paused for a bit and then ran off all the white on 2 feet. I never did see anyone else out there. Been hiking for 11 years and haven't seen anything too crazy, but a couple concerning things have happened. I was hiking a trail that had recently been destroyed by a storm, and it was pretty easy to get lost. Eventually made it to the summit of the mountain, where we would camp for the night. It's about 6 pm and we set up our tent site, and this guy coming from a separate trail passes us. He said he was day hiking, but the nearest hut or road was 16 miles away, and it was 6 pm. He had no flashlight either. We advised that he turned around, as the trail would be nearly impossible at night, but he insisted that he would finish the hike. He didn't even have a flashlight, so we gave him one of our headlamps. The morning came, and you could see his footprints lead to the destroyed trail, so I guess we didn't change his mind. We went back the way we came, and eventually passed the nearest hut, can't miss it, the trail only leads to that hut, and asked the workers if they had seen the guy, to which they responded no. No news ever came up of someone dying or going missing that week, so I presume he's fine but scary situation nonetheless. I was on the Matanuska Glacier ice climbing, and before we started scaling the wall a tour guide walked up with a group he was showing around. There was a small waterfall, and he filled up his water bottle, explaining how this is the best water in the world, the most pure and blah blah blah. Anyways, we climb up like 20 feet, and there in the stream just above the waterfall is the dead and rotting carcass of some kind of bird or mammal, completely grey and directly feeding the waterfall he just filled up his bottle with. I did work with search and rescue in the Ruby Mountains and I saw some messed up stuff. Worst one by far was a missing hiker we found like 60% of his body actively being eaten by mountain lions. That made me lightheaded. The stuff you see out there can really mess with your head. Found a few dead people just sitting under trees who got lost and finally just sat down to die, usually had been there a while and it was essentially scattered bones at that point, found one man who hung himself, took us three days to locate him off trail, his neck had extended to about 2 feet long. Found a couple dead kids who got separated from their groups or families. But we also found people alive and well and that's what makes it worth it. Finding a 8 year old who's been lost for 2 days alive and well just cold and hungry slash thirsty and being able to see the family reunion makes all the rough stuff worthwhile. Usually it was just people under prepared for the intensity of the Ruby Mountains, it's not the Sierras that's for sure. Lots of good finds and only a handful of the ugly ones. I did end up getting therapy a few years down the road for unrelated events, but these did come up and the therapist actually helped me work through a lot of grief and trauma I didn't even know I was carrying around in my day-to-day -day life. When it's your job you don't really think about its long-term effects, now in hindsight I see those events really shaped me as a parent. I'm super protective, cautious and aware basically around the clock with my two little ones. Nine times out of ten when it was a missing child the parents would say they turned their back for just a second and the kid was gone. I'm a big outdoorsman and my kids are starting to be at that age where we can go camping and hiking and I'm honestly scared to bring my kids anywhere remote at all. I've kinda decided I'm going to wait till they're 10 to 12 before we do any overnighters in the mountains that include hiking. Kids don't have much common sense, they can see a cool bird or bush and just wander off aimlessly. Hope you're doing okay too my guy. My last search was last year but as a volunteer to find a man who went missing in the Nevada high country, our tallest peak a few hours south of me, 
It was me and four hunting buddies and a few SAR guys along with a few cops covering a huge area. My buddies and I all split up and didn't stop moving for 36 hours coordinating via GPS. Luckily the SAR guys found him a few miles down the ridge he found a small pond with snow melt and actually stayed put. Ironically I found about him missing through reddit and the journey and my updates for those 36 hours are posted in the comments lol. Different account but I can link it if anyone would like to read, his son reached out to me, we exchanged numbers and still keep in contact. It was a wild ride. Hiking in West Virginia with my dad years ago, we heard a car up ahead and came over a hill and saw a tree fall on the back of a pickup truck. When we came up to talk to the guy and asked what happened, he told us his truck had started to go off the narrow road and got stuck, so he hooked a bungee cord from his truck to a tree and gunned the engine. He said he thought that the bungee cord would cause the truck to bounce back and then would be back on the road. Edit to add. Just remember this morning that my dad asked him if we were on the right road to get back to the parking lot we had started at. The guy told us if we kept going we would get to the amusement park, and there was a parking area there. We were confused about what he meant, then when we got there we realized he was talking about a civil war museum. I walked past a campsite with a ton of smashed alcohol bottles and trash started feeling uncomfortable and walked faster to where the trail looked over a canyon. Smelled something bad and looked down to see, like three feet from me, two bloated dead dog heads sticking out from a rolled up tarp. Immediately turned around and booked it to my car. I called the forest service to report it. I think some people got drunk and killed the dogs or maybe it was a dog fighting thing. There may have been more under that tarp but I was freaked out. I think if it was someone's pets they would have tried to bury them. A friend of mine was a hunter. His guide relates a similar experience. He was bow hunting and stalking a deer. Silently, slowly working his way toward the deer. Then, all the hair on the back of his neck went up. He turned and realized a mountain lion was stalking him. He was prepared for a hunt and so was the mountain lion. It pounced, he loosed an arrow. Normally, killing a mountain lion in this area is a big no-no. But his arrow hit in the mouth, and did not chip a tooth, either lion was attacking with open mouth. Being a guide, he notified Department of Fish and Game and they investigated, but not for long. Pretty clear self-defense. But, damn. The amount of times I had standoffs with mountain lions is unreal. I was always armed since you practically had to be in this area, due to the lions, I never had to kill one but I put a few bullets in the ground to scare them off sometimes. Loda people would just shoot on sight but they're such majestic creatures, I couldn't shoot one unless I had no other options. Oh and some of the super redneck families had them as pets lol. I worked a lot in the deep rural sections and more than a few times I walked into someone's house to see a mountain lion on the couch. Domesticated ones are about as friendly as a Labrador which is cool, but a Labrador that has cat speed, and crazy claws slash teeth. I remember play wrestling with one and just being shocked at how strong that thing was, we're lucky we evolved to having houses lol. Another house I went to in the mountains like an hour on a dirt road with no other homes, had two as pets the kids probably between 7 and 11 years old were dirt biking on this track they had made behind the house. So I'm watching these kids rip around on dirt bikes when suddenly a mountain lion literally comes out of nowhere and tackles a kid off his dirt bike. Had my revolver out and was running just to find them wrestling and playing in the dirt. Apparently it was a game. The kids would ride around the track and the lions would stalk them and then take them out and wrestle around before running off to hide and stalk them again. We were several hundred feet away from a riverbed. My family was in a tent a few yards to our left. When we woke up the tent was filling with water. 
I cannot describe the feeling of dread in the pit of my stomach. I unzipped the tent and we were standing in about 4 inches of water. As soon as we stepped out of our tent it ripped out of the ground and floated into the middle of the river disappearing in the darkness of the night and running water. We yelled for our parents who jumped out of the tent, and their tent floated down the river too. My mother was screaming our names as my dad was ready to swim into the river after our tent. He realized we were all out, and we sprinted through campground which was rising a half inch per step. By the time we got to high ground the river was to our knees, while trees ripped through the roaring river. The playground was destroyed, the picnic tables were gone, and the only thing left in the morning was the grills, which are concreted into the ground. Couple friends and I were doing a 10-mile day hike in mid-spring in the Rockies. So, full snow gear and what not for the legs but just t-shirts once the blood gets going. A few miles in, we came across a clearing we needed to cross that looked to have several feet of snow on it. It resembled a ski run, but we weren't in a ski area so we assumed avalanche chute. Had about a 30-degree slope to it where we were and it got steeper above us. One of my buddies is a backcountry skier and tested the snow, which I'm not sure what that entails, and said it was solid. So we take turns crossing and I go last. I get exactly halfway across and the whole snow pack drops about 10 feet. A crack formed in the snow going up the hill and out of the crack came a really strong gust of air. It knocked my baseball hat probably 20 feet in the air and bunched my t-shirt up around my shoulders and neck. Apparently a creek ran down the slope and it hollowed the snow underneath and only the crust on top was keeping it intact. Man oh man I thought I was in an avalanche. Anyways turned out to be a really cool experience. Never ever felt anything like that where you get the roller coaster drop sensation but you're still standing on the ground around you. I did a wilderness survival course when I was a teen so I have a few of these. I've told the forest fire story a million times in similar threads. Probably next best one would be Jardia in a situation where we couldn't get medevac out there for quite some time. Jardia is already an awful thing to contract when you can have quick access to any semblance of privacy and comfort. But it's a camper's disease so that's usually not true and it wasn't here either. One of the girls got it and by the time they called for med evac she had been mildly symptomatic for a few days, and because of weather condition they had to send a truck and it took quite some time. So she was in the thick of it for a couple days in the camp. We dug a separate hole for her to shit in. We all had to assist with her care but also keep away because of how crazy contagious it is, edit, crazy contagious if you can't stay clear of pother people's poop, which we really couldn't but because this was a treatment establishment, she couldn't be out of loss of staff for very long, so she basically just lived next to her shit trough. I think the scariest part for me was, initially, she was embarrassed. What teen girl or anyone to be honest, wouldn't be, if their peers had to hear and see them having explosive diarrhea into a hole. I heard her cry to staff about it, beg for privacy, etc. But the scary part was that by day two, so much energy and life had faded out of her and she was so bad off that all semblance of embarrassment, shyness, etc., had completely left her. She just sort of laid next to the trough and kept her pants down and scooted backwards towards it when she needed to go. When she wasn't shitting she was in a lot of pain so she'd just sort of lie there and moan. I genuinely thought she was going to die. Jardia isn't a death sentence at all, very survivable, but 15-year-old me didn't know that and watching it happen was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. This is more camping after a day of hiking but my husband and I decided to set up in a campground where no one else was. The gate to the area was open but weirdly deserted. We may have been too early into the season, March, and we guessed the gate was accidentally left open but decided why not, enjoy some peace and quiet in a usually full campground. 
During the night we were woken up by noises and saw two trucks with their headlights on pulling into the camp and people jumping out of the beds with flashlights. We were scared shitless these people were going to find and hurt us. Probably sounds silly but we weren't sure what these people's intentions were. Sometimes humans are scarier than nature. After they looked around for a bit they got back in the trucks and left. Didn't spot our tent in the trees towards the back of the camp but holy shit we were ready to go after that. They could have just been checking out the campground if they wanted to stay there but the vibe felt really creepy like they were looking for something. I was hunting the Wolf Creek Road area 3.5 miles up the road as a clearing. I decided to walk down into the timber stand about one half mile down the side of the slope. The path then cuts right and follows the wood line and the creek at the bottom. I am always looking for any signs of our big friend. I am involved in ongoing research in the Salmonberry area, so my eyes are always scanning. About another half a mile up the trail I caught sign of pretty big print. I measured the print to the following dimensions. 17 inches long. 6 inches wide. Could count all 5 toes in the print. I am 282 pounds and left no impression in the soil. This print left a 1 inch depression in the soil. In scanning the immediate area I could see the trail it followed up from the creek bed. The print was heading in the westerly direction down the trail where I was heading. No odor was detected and no scat was found. Foliage in the area was low to the ground so I observed no broken tree limbs at an unusual height. I will be returning this weekend with some fruit and will try to work more of the bottom of the timber line and see what can be found deeper into the tree line. I decided to take my girlfriend hiking. I knew of a trail which isn't hiked a lot because we wanted to see nature not people. So I took her to Rooster Rock hiking trail just past Trout Creek off of Highway 20. We got to the start of the trail filled out our cards and put it in the box. There was only one other card in the box and it was dated some time back, so we were excited no one would be on the trail. Plus it was a rainy foggy day and we didn't expect see anyone. Anyhow the trail was all overgrown and I had to use my machete in some parts of the way up. We were three-fourth of the way up when we came to a muddy rocky section of the trail and there were large footprints in the mud going down the side of the mountain. I put my foot in one of the prints and I wear a size 11 half. The print beat my shoe size by a good 8 inches, and the span of the prints were incredibly long about 4 feet to each one. We didn't know what to think of it so we kept hiking. We got to the top of the trail, ate lunch then came back down. We got to where we found the tracks and there were more. Instead of the tracks going down like it was before it had come back up the mountain going back up the hill. At that time we got an eerie feeling like something is watching us, the kind of feeling where your hair stands up on the back of your neck. So we picked up our pace going down the trail. As a former Marine I felt something was wrong. I did have my Glock .40 on me so I was not worried but I still felt edgy. We almost ran all the way down the trail. It was raining hard when something large started coming at us fast through the forest. It was breaking branches and was moving fast. I tossed my girlfriend, the car keys and told her to run to the car and get it started. So she ran. I pulled out my gun and as a marine I took a defensive position behind a tree. I fired three shots in the air, the thing then turned back and I could hear it going back up the trail breaking limbs and bushes. It stopped and got very quiet. I then backpedaled down the trail to the car slowly. Then I heard a loud hope, yell, coming from up the mountain then another one from a different direction. The yelling was continuous. I got to the car and we sped off fast. We went to the ranger station in Sweet Home to report what happened. They pretty much just blew us off, but me and her knew what happened. My friend and I were staying up late while all the other campers had gone to bed. After a couple of hours we retired to our tent where we could still see the glow from the fire on the tent's wall. We had talked for about 30 minutes or so and we finally tried to go to sleep. 
We were both unable to fall asleep so we both just laid there. A few minutes later we heard footsteps coming from the woods behind us, a few seconds after they stopped we saw the shadow of a 6 to 7 feet hairy creature leaning out from behind a tree approximately 5 feet from us. We were scared but curious so I, Sean, sat up quietly and pulled out my flashlight. I quickly unzipped the tent and leaned out shining the flashlight in its direction. It automatically hid. I wasn't going to leave the tent so I laid back down. Moments later it returned and so I did the same procedure and so did it but this time when I laid back down we heard it run back into the woods. I was sitting on the back patio, which is two stories up, which faces the lake. The trees are about 3 feet from my building and stretch to 300 feet to the lake. I heard footsteps of something breaking brush to the left and below me. I heard it make its way from the left to the right in the woods. I heard 20 to 25 steps and I smelled something that smelled like a big stinky goat. Then I heard fear splashing in the lake and ducks quacking in a mad fashion, like they were panicking and flying out to the middle of the lake. My friend and I were camping near Timothy Lake. We had been there for three nights already, but on the fourth night we were lying in our tent trying to go to sleep, when out of nowhere we saw the shadow of a very tall and very hairy creature standing about six feet from our tent. We could see it clearly because it was between our tent and our campfire that wasn't all the way out. It was leaning out from behind a tree and every time one of us would move it would retreat back behind the tree. That happened a couple of times so I wanted to see what it was. So I quietly got the flashlight ready and unzipped the tent. The next time it leaned out far enough for me to see it. I jumped out of the tent and looked its direction, while I did that, it hid back behind the tree so I got back into the tent. And I tried the same thing again, and again it hid behind the tree, but this time when I laid back down and got quiet. The creature ran past our tent into the woods behind us. We were driving to a national park to go hiking, when we stopped because the driver, my buddy's dad, had to pee. We decided it was a good time to stretch our legs so we started walking down the highway. I noticed something on the ditch next to the road. I went over and saw what looked like the body of a giant deer. Its neck was torn open and there was no head in sight. My buddy informed me it was actually a moose. Now I'd never seen a moose in the flesh before. So I was looking at it out of curiosity when I heard my buddy's dad call out guys, I found it. I walk over to see what he was talking about and there's the head of the moose a couple hundred meters away, antlers all smashed. It was pretty grisly. We were confused as to what the hell happened to him. We think maybe a truck hit him so hard, it decapitated him and the driver just pushed the body into the ditch and decided to nope out of there. My buddy's dad thought that seemed unlikely especially since there wasn't blood on the road and no sign of an accident. We decided to just get back in the car and continue on our way. My dad and I decided to take the side-by-side -side up to a hiking trail in Medicine Bow, Wyoming. As we were approaching the trailhead, there was a younger guy ahead of us in his truck and with him was his dog and he was also towing a horse and trailer. He pulled over and let us pass him since we were going to be able to get over the rough roads a lot quicker than him. We waved, he waved and we passed him and were on our way. We hiked into a lake, went fishing for a couple of hours and got ready to leave. As we were leaving, we saw the same guy on his horse arriving at the lake. He waved and asked how the fishing was and we showed him our catch, five or six little brookies. He said something like alright, looking good. Well, take it easy, guys, and we said goodbye. We hiked down to the side by side, loaded our gear, and started down the road. About a mile or two down the road we see up ahead where the guy had parked his truck and trailer. My dad slows us down a bit, points to the trailer and says what the hell is. Oh no. As he suddenly floors it to get us closer. I look up and at first I couldn't tell what I was looking at 
I thought maybe the guy had a coyote or something he had shot, hanging off the side of his trailer. But then, as we got closer I realized what had happened. He had tied his dog up in the horse trailer so it wouldn't run off, but his dog had tried to escape through the window and ended up hanging itself. We pulled up and could see flies buzzing around the dog's mouth and eyes and we knew he was gone. We just looked at each other and my dad said shit, there's nothing we can do. We left the guy a note saying we were sorry and there was nothing we could have done when we got there. I still think about how horrible that must have been for him. Bummer. I was doing ecological research in the Catskills. We were six miles up a trail and then two miles into a bushwhack west, off the trail. So the middle of the woods, not near another trail, heading to our study spot. We came upon a cluster of little green army men lined up and mostly standing up, just by themselves. The leaves in the immediate area were rustled, but that was it. No sign of anyone. So odd. I was doing field work, veg surveys, in Sequoia National Forest and saw the beginning of what would have definitely been a wildfire. The wheel on a guy's trailer popped off, he kept driving, sparks flying everywhere. He eventually pulls over, right where some had caught on the dry grass. This is in a chaparral area. Very very dry. It was spreading quick. I was about 0.5 miles up in the scrub and just booked it over there while radioing it in, worked for the forest service at the time. I used my hard hat to scoop sand onto it as fast as I could while he's literally crying and saying how he's gonna get fined. I was barely making a dent, thankfully the local service fire crew showed up and put it out in time. He did get multiple fines and had other unresolved fines apparently. Once in the White Mountains of New Hampshire I came across a huge dead adult male moose, a few feet from the trail. That was random. Once in the Okefenokee in Georgia, huge 700 square mile swamp, I came upon an empty John boat with two life preservers and a cooler still in it. There's no dry land for miles and miles, just cypress trees and gators. Hopefully they had gotten a ride with someone? But why leave the jackets? I'm a scout and we have one to two monthly hikes. Here are by far the two scariest, we were hiking to get to a little cave area, rented and with multiple staff, on the 32 kilometer way we had to walk through both a city and about 20 kilometer of that road was through a very tight forest. Since we have been walking in the dark before that didn't really scare anyone. Until we got to the end of the city, nothing happened. But me and two other people who had the back of the line noticed a man, I would say in the 4050s following us from a distance. We thought he was just on a walk and happened to be going through the city the same road we were taking. But when we got to the end of the city, we noticed that he kept following us from a good 50 meter distance. We didn't tell anybody to not scare people, we had kids as young as 10 to 11 with us, we just kinda speeded up to get the rest of us to walk a little faster. About 8 to 10 kilometers later the man is still following, but now through the forest. This time about 20 meter from us. We told everyone to speed up, and they could hear the slight fear in our voice. The man then disappeared. When the leaders asked why we were scared, we just blamed it on the cold weather and us freezing. Only me and the two other back troops knew. We never told anybody before about the last day of camp. It was a week-long camp with a hike included. This one probably isn't as scary for some, but one night we were a few older scouts 14 to 16 years old were out alone with just a single leader on a small little trip just us alone. We had a lot of fun and we were just chilling around the campfire until about 12 p.m. We went to bed about 1 a.m. About 3 a.m. I woke up very thirsty. I was looking for my water dunk when I heard heavy breath and close to our tent, probably 5 to 10 meters away. I laid down as silent as possible, scared as F, not making a single noise. The breathing noise went away and I just laid in the tent, scared. Just before I was about to fall asleep again, I heard a blood freezing scream. Animalic scream. 
It wasn't very loud so it was probably far away. One other person woke slightly up but I guess they didn't really hear it. I laid two and two together and realized that the heavy breathing and the scream probably came from the same thing. And it couldn't have been a cougar. It was in Denmark, with no cougars and such. I sat thinking about it for about an hour before falling asleep. I was just too tired. When we woke up at nine, I looked around the tent looking for footsteps. I found nothing, and blamed it on my imagination. I still don't know what it could have been or if it was just my imagination. I've never experienced anything weird after that. We were walking around Aokigahara forest outside of Fujikawaguchiko in Japan. This is the notorious quote self-harm forest and it is a freaking spooky place, even in the daytime. We were there in the middle of a weekday at the tail of a tourist season so there was no one else around once we got into the forest proper. We followed the guidelines and stuck to the tracks as the terrain is very rough and there are various fissures in the mossy ground that some hapless gaijin might fall into. In spite of this we became turned around in the place quite quickly and it was difficult to have a clear sense of where things are in relation to one another. This, combined with the peculiar quiet added to the oppressive atmosphere of a place you know is a hot spot for quote self-harm. We'd learned that that folks looking to off themselves often leave their shoes or other belongings neatly besides the path before wandering into the woods to meet their fate. With this in mind we were keeping a lookout for any such things. Just in case. Lo and behold we came round a corner and there, two meters or so from the path was a neatly folded jacket sat in the low vegetation by the path. It looked clean and dry and like it has been left on purpose but not in a way to attract people to it, say, if it had been lost. My then girlfriend and I looked at one another in shock as we contemplated the implications of the situation. After a few moments we both realized that the near silence we had been enduring was lessened on account of the tremendous buzzing of flies. We saw that the air was thick with them and they appeared to be very interested in the abandoned jacket. At this point we assumed that something foul had happened in or around the area and that someone might need help. After a moment of discussion I was volunteered, with an elbow to the ribs, to approach the jacket and inspect it for signs of foul play or evidence that might lead us to a poor soul in need. As I stepped into the bushes and got close to the jacket I could see clearly that the flies were emerging from beneath the garment and there were a multitude of them. I had a really bad feeling but pushed forward and resolved to lift up the jacket to see what grisly token of death might await beneath. I bent down and seized a corner of the garment between finger and thumb and cast it aside with a flourish. Immediately a nauseating odor hit me and I had to take a step back to stifle the fast-rising gip. There under the jacket, glistening in the dappled light of Aokigahara forest, was the single largest human turd I had ever seen. A single unbroken length of scat coiled pretzel-like and studded with flies busily making a brunch of it. Of course the tension broke and I scampered back to report my findings. Confident that no one was in any immediate peril, Although a trip to the gastroenterologist might been prudent, we continued on our walk without further incident. What made me laugh was the thought of some poor local tourist caught short in the forest and having to wade into the bushes to crimp one off like a bear. Thereafter, so ashamed by the size and countenance of the stool they deemed it necessary to cover it over with their perfectly good jacket, neatly folded, to shield it and, I guess, prevent shame being brought upon their ancestors slash angering the forest spirits. So about five years ago a friend and I were hiking in the Oregon Cascades in the mid-spring. We were about six miles in from the road nowhere near a trail on about six feet of snow. We were going out for five days to attempt to summit a few peaks, so we looked like grizzly mountain men. Around a tree comes two guys and a dog. Mid-fifties, his son mid-twenties, and Fifi. They are wearing trail running shorts, running shoes and a running water backpack. A.K.A. Nothing of real use. PCT open? They asked. Friend and I looked at each other, looked at them, tried not to laugh and explained. 
We are 5 miles from the PCT and 2,000 feet lower in elevation, what are you trying to do? They planned on doing a 20-mile run along the PCT starting on the other side of the mountains but got sidetracked due to snow. Again we explain that they are done. I tell them that there is a road with cell service 6 miles downhill along our tracks and if need be we can hike them out. They refused and asked if the PCT was open again. I flat out told them you are done, let me hike you out they were like nah, we've got this and ran off in the wrong direction. We camped there for the night and followed their tracks for a half mile the next morning. They disappeared, no signs of them. After a few stormy days and failed summit attempts we hiked out. I drove around to the parking area they mentioned and looked through the wilderness permit tags to try to find a name. Nothing. It gets weird though. A few years later, my parents ran into the same nondescript people in the same area again asking about a trail loop, same conditions. Late winter, snowshoeing far from a road and they were lost. My dad also tried to hike them out but they denied and took off in the wrong direction. He followed their tracks for a half mile before he lost them. So if anyone sees the ghosts of the Oregon Cascades, let me know. So I was on a hike in Whistler, British Columbia in Canada with few friends, down near the train wreck. Well a few of the guys decided it'd be smart to go down and cross the Chequemus River on a log, this is a river not many people make it out of if they fall in the fire slash rescue told us after. One of the guys happened to slip about halfway across, he fell down and was hanging on to the log, old growth tree, for a solid couple minutes until he fell in just before some pretty strong rapids. Luckily for him there just happened to be a little slightly calmer break-off area with another tree across that he wedged himself into. With just his head above water, a bunch of friends helplessly watching from shore, we were also all quite high, this guy struggled but to no avail. Cut forward about 5 minutes and this random German guy comes up, hear us all in a panic, goes down the steep hill, walks right into the river pulls our friend out then leaves like it never happened. Never saw him again. The friend now has a kid with a girl he's been with for a few years and seems like he's pretty happy, but was that ever the wildest day? It gave me anxiety just typing this. I was on a long orientation hike when I first went away to boarding school in Arizona. They make all new kids go on a week-long hike out in the desert, about 15 kids to a group, led by a teacher or other school employee. Our leader hadn't done a lot of hiking, and we got hopelessly lost. By day 4 we had run out of water and had no idea where we were. It was hot as hell in the day, in the low 90s, and freezing, bitch-ass cold at night, and we had very little gear with us. One of the kids fell and skidded down the side of a hill and ended up landing knee first onto a cactus with long, thick spines, one of which jabbed itself under the kid's kneecap and broke off. He couldn't move and was in agony, so we made a camp and people went in pairs to hike around and try to find water, or a house, anything to save us. I went scouting with another kid and we found a tiny, shallow puddle that was clearly used by animals and full of animal poop, but it was. Water, sort of. So we gathered up the paltry amount there was, took it back to camp. Nobody had matches or a lighter, so we put iodine in it and drank it. It was brownish yellow and tasted awful. Each of us got a few sips, we were so desperate for water. Another kid fell out with heat stroke the next day. I remember sitting under a tiny spindly shrub, trying to get some shade, with the heat stroke girl's head in my lap, trying to comfort her and basically waiting to die. Then we heard a sound, a motor, which got louder until a jeep came driving up, one of the hikers had found a rancher out driving around, and he saved our asses. It was pretty scary, and the school stopped doing orientation hikes in the desert with completely untrained, inexperienced guides. One time a buddy and I were camping around Diamond Lake in Oregon. 
I can't remember the exact name of the site, but it was around that area. This was the off season and we were the only ones camping around this lake area. It was pitch black out there with the exception of our campfire. So around one in the morning we were just chillin' smoking a bowl bullshitting. The area we were at had a hill just above us with a lot of trees and bushes on it. We're sitting there and we start hearing a cracking sound then a huge crash and something sounding like it's rolling and then another huge smash. We get the flashlight on looking up the hill and all we can see is dust and debris falling down. We're totally freaked the F out. We didn't know what happened. But we decided to go to bed. Well the next morning when we woke up we notice a gigantic old dead tree that had fallen and started rolling down the hill. You could see where it broke off up the hill and rolled all the way down breaking smaller trees along the way. It was probably 30 feet tall and was a big chonky bitch. This man was completely sideways and was only stopped by three other trees that held it back up the hill. It would have rolled right through our campsite if the other trees hadn't stopped it. I was freaked out the night before but seeing it in the light of day knowing how close we came to dying was way more terrifying. When I was a teenager we went away for a week of camping at the scout reserve. My dad was our scoutmaster and we were mostly all friends from growing up. There was one kid Andre, the youngest, that we didn't really know well and was definitely kind of weird, withdrawn and awkward, just kinda different, but still a sweet guy that everyone liked. Toward the end of the week we went out on an overnight, just the scouts without my dad or his buddy who was our other scouter. We took a boat across the lake and then hiked for hours into the bush. It was a really hot day and my older brother was leading us but not drinking any water and wearing a light jacket which made him extra hot. Eventually we found a sweet spot next to a huge cliff which we jumped off into the lake below for hours until we made a fire and cooked dinner. Eventually we all fell asleep under the stars. Around 4.30 am, just before sunrise, my friend Sean woke me up and asked if I knew where Andre was. I said no and that maybe he went to piss, but after 5 minutes he wasn't back so we got up and started looking around and calling his name. Nothing. So we ranged a little further and then I saw his sleeping bag at the edge of the cliff. I freaked out and ran over to see if I could see anything at the bottom, but I saw nothing. We tried to get my brother up but he was pretty sick from heatstroke so I took charge of the situation. We started ranging out into the woods and calling his name. One foe the guy started doing the emergency whistle call, three short whistles, but we were really in the middle of nowhere. I started going deeper into the woods calling his name. Then I thought I heard something. I stopped and listened and heard a faint cry deep in the woods. So I started running, crashing through thick undergrowth, getting lashed in the face with branches and stumbling across fallen logs. His cries got louder and eventually I arrived to this huge clearing in the woods to find him sitting on a fallen tree, in his underwear and a t-shirt. He said he'd been there for hours, having woken up on the ground in the dark and having no idea where he was so he just sat it out, waiting for dawn. It was really spooky. The craziest thing was that his watch had been reset so he didn't know what time it actually was. We all accepted that it was probably sleepwalking but he was so far in the woods and didn't have a scratch on him, and this clearing was so bizarre because it was big and round in the middle of these really dense woods. To this day I wonder what really happened. Hiking the AT in 2018 there was a man who was struggling with his mental health, he said so himself that he was out of his medications, who started following a young woman in our group. One night we stayed at a hostel in town and she woke up to him sitting naked on the end of her bed. She was terrified but she was able to get out of the bed and walk out of the room without being assaulted. She told an ex-military guy we were with and he took out a large knife and threatened to murder the guy if he didn't leave immediately. We never saw him again. The next year there was a mentally unstable hiker who was arrested for threatening other hikers with a large knife. A judge released him and he ended up murdering another hiker a week later. 
There was also a stretch of like four to five days where a group of section hikers had a large dog with them that was attacking hikers. That was pretty scary because the dog's paws were all torn up and it was clearly in pain but the section hikers maintained that he was fine and insisted on staying at crowded camping spots and allowing the dog to wander off leash. I know at least three different hikers that the dog bit and there were multiple yelling arguments that almost escalated into physical fights from unhappy hikers who were mad at how poorly the section hikers were handling the dog. was on a high school three-day hiking trip trip in northern Maine, and our group came across a search and rescue team carrying a body off a mountain in a litter. A father and daughter had been hiking, dad slipped and had a fatal injury. We were about 90 minutes from the parking lot, and the teachers running our trip volunteered us to help carry him out. The search and rescue team must have been grateful to have about 10 extra bodies or so to help. I couldn't help staring at the dad's boots every time I had a turn carrying the litter. We were exploring my family's new farm my dad bought when I was a kid. We were on an ATV but decided to hop off and hike up to this pond that was shared with the neighbors. There was an old pickup truck parked by the water, it looked like they came to fish. There was a camper shell on the bed of the truck so it was enclosed. We didn't see anyone until we looked in the back of the truck. Two legs were waving in the air and there was the shadow of a man in between them. My parents laughed and we quickly left before they noticed us. I thought it was a woman having a baby and the guy was delivering it. I was like we need to help them. And that made them laugh even harder. I never got it until later, they were making a baby not having one. About 15 years ago one Sunday afternoon I was hiking with my mum through some very old woods in the UK. It was a rural area but not as remote as a lot of the national parks in the US obviously. Anyway we noticed that the wildlife noises had gone very quiet and then we heard the distinct sound of a large group of people chanting in what sounded like Latin. It wasn't easy to judge the direction it was coming from. But I started trying to find out when my mum freaked out and said we should leave immediately, so we turned round and hiked quickly back to where we had left the car. Absolutely no idea what that was. I've looked on maps since to see if there was a church nearby or something but there's nothing but dense woods for a few miles around that location. We were on a road trip and were camping next to a boat landing. We just pulled our car up and set up the tent. Around midnight, I wake up to the sound of a car pulling up. I hear a door open close, and open and close again. Then I hear the sound of a grown man sobbing. Like wailing. So I just lay in my tent for the next half an hour listening to this, thinking about every possible scenario from the light-hearted to the extremely dark and dangerous versions of how someone bawling in a remote parking lot at midnight might be a very unstable individual. I thought about getting out and asking them if they were okay but this person must have a real sense of shame to come this far out to cry. Anyways, probably only lasted 30 to 45 minutes, but it was one of the creepiest moments I have ever had camping. This didn't happen to me but happened to my friend's family slash father and to be honest should be made written down in a memoir somewhere. So they were hiking in a pretty remote area, I feel like it was Alaska but I could be wrong, and were staying at a camp with some pretty basic cabins. My friend is like 7 or 8 at the time. It's the middle of the night and the campsite of a few cabins are woken up to someone calling for help. Into one of the cabins comes a teenager carrying his bloodied and mangled younger brother in his arms. They had been out in the absolute torrential deluge by themselves when a rock slide happened and a soccer ball-sized boulder fell down the mountain and hit his younger brother in the face. His face was basically a bag of bones, he was seizing and fading in and out of consciousness, and his brother carried him literal miles back to try and find help. 
Extremely lucky for them that my friend's father is a ENT reconstructive surgeon with a fellowship in facial plastics. So basically this absolute chat of a surgeon, which you would never guess if you met him, set about trying to save this kid's life. The kid is essentially hours from dying if he didn't get emergency surgery. Mind you there's a monumental storm happening outside, they are in the middle of nowhere, and it's the middle of the night so there's no way they can try to helicopter the kid out until later the next day at the earliest. They gather some kitchen knives, a sewing kit, and a cordless drill and this dude proceeds to put the kid back together on a kitchen island. My friend's mom, who is not good with blood, is assisting him as he sutures and stabilizes him to stop the bleeding but he keeps on seizing and slipping into a coma and it becomes evident that he has major intracranial swelling. My dude does a craniotomy in a backwoods kitchen with a cordless drill. Just absolutely nuts. The kid survived. They suffered some deficits but understood what had happened to them and that they would almost definitely have died. From what I gathered is they lead a relatively normal life but unfortunately succumb to a seizure some time later. Just absolutely mental. I cannot imagine how messed up it was. Oh this one just recently happened here in Germany, we were a group of five hiking when we reached APOI. We're just doing a small break for 10 minutes there, when a full nude 50 year old man, wearing only his hiking boots and his bag comes up the hill. I'm just looking at him and couldn't resist myself to shout out you is this a nudist forest or what? Him, yes, it is, no it isn't, just wait a few minutes, there's 30 more of us just behind he said with such a neutral expression. I told my friends that we should go now, because that place is pretty small and I didn't want to become entangled in dicks. So we got our stuff and went back to the route and I shit you not, there they came, 30 full nude hikers in between them two nude women, all in their 50-60 ties. I particularly remember one of them because you could not not look at his penis, because he got a huge silver piercing right through his glands. The best part is, as we are forced to walk by them, every single one of them greeted us very friendly, but staring at us giving us that look as if we're the ones being abnormal. That was probably the weirdest thing to happen to us, so far. A buddy and I were hiking a 12th Snad Foot Mountain Peak getting in shape for Army Warrant Officer Candidate School, WOCS, and what looked like a 70-something old woman quickly came up behind us. She asked us where we were from, told her, then she called us Flatlanders and passed us up. This was at the final stretch with about 1,000 left to ascend. I was probably in the best shape of my life, and this old woman who I assume lived nearby probably hiked the path every day practically sprinted past us. Kinda funny but it was odd at the time as she was the only person we seen the entire time. 